We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, fellas, now that we have you guys for a few minutes here, we won, of course, it's a Friday. Vince's last one. I literally almost cried this morning, by the way, Vince, when I heard it was your last mailbag. No, right? Well, there'll be a few Fridays off as we go. You know, there's a fall break yeah. in there where I'm just going to beg Brian to get onto the mailbag. You know, it's like, hey, please, can I come back? Can I come back? And we start our mailbag section off with the Spanky 412. Spanky, thank you as always. You were always in the chat. We really appreciate you. Sean, I'm going to need you to apply for the assistant recruiting director position and literally repeat the rant the same way to every recruit and their parents. That was phenomenal. I wish I was in there live. Sean, I actually saw this. I saw someone post on the message board that it started about 11 minutes and 50 seconds on on your your podcast with Malik. And so I went there and I listened to your rant and I agree. It was a great rant, sir. I, I really do appreciate it from the recruiting side of everything. And the Spanky, we appreciate you very much. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll get Sean a nice little, uh, I don't know, Sean, recruiting director. Does that sound good to you? Is that a good title, you think? That sounds good to me. Just give me my plaque <laughs> on the wall. I mean, yeah. my little nameplate and I'm good. I'm ready to go. Love it. I love it. I love it. I believe we have a couple other super chats that we are going to get to, but Spanky, we appreciate you. This one is from David Carpenter. David, really appreciate it again. Another one for Sean. Hey, Sean, I'm here for the recruiting rant you brought. Question for you. How many double D position groups do you think we have this year? I don't know how to take that question. I don't know how to take it either. I don't, I don't know what that meant. I was hoping that you knew how what that meant, David. If you want to pop in the chat, exactly what that means, because I was literally, I was really hoping that was a lucky lefty thing. Like I didn't know what the terminology came from there. But David, appreciate the super chat, and if you want to put into the, the um, into the chat now, we can circle back to this question and get some of Sean's context. Going to go to John A one. I mean to ask Sean Davis, and we only have Sean for a few minutes, so we're going to make sure to get some of these questions out to him. Remaining to ask Sean Davis, who are his top five prospects during his lifetime oh. out of the state of Illinois? Wow, Sean, this is a, this is a doozy, man. Okay. Bob, I saw yeah. you in real time. To be fair, I started going to high school games and I was a really young kid at Gately Stadium. So 
I know a lot of I Bryant Young is definitely one of them. Simeon Rice is definitely one of them. Donovan McNabb is definitely without question one of them. Only because I went to grammar school with them. Matt Cushing that went to Mount Carmel and played tight end for like eight years with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was like a good friend of mine growing up, so I had to throw him on my list. If he ever heard this, he'd be like, dude, how do you not put me on this? <laughs> and probably the great dude. It was this kid from Julian. He was a wide receiver, and he committed. He went, He played for George, George Perlis in Michigan State. His name was Brian. Oh, I forget his last name. But this, I, I kid you not. His his senior year, he took back at least two punts every game. Like he was th- that dominant. It was like, yo, this is crazy. How is he dominating like this? And for some reason, I think he had some injury issues, but when he went to Michigan State, he didn't blossom the way a lot of people thought he would. But yeah, those are probably five of the best players I ever saw in my time. And there were some other. There were some other fantastic – Rocky Harvey was a – look, if you want to talk about a kid that just dominated the state in football, Rocky Harvey, a diminutive running back, you know, out of Dunbar in the city, he still holds the all-time record for rushing yards in high school. The kid was like 5'8", 170, just dominating. He went to Illinois, and he had a couple of good years down in Illinois, but yeah, those are probably five guys. Yeah. That I saw personally that I laid eyes on. I know there are a bunch of guys that came before them, you know, the state of Illinois has, if you go look, type in top 100 all time players, high school players in the state of Illinois, and just look at the names that you probably didn't even realize came from. Oh, another guy I got to watch play against my younger brother. Rodney Harrison oh. and Marion Catholic. He was really good. At that point in time, he was like a cornerback, but he was really good. He hadn't moved to safety yet, but he was really good. He played against my younger brother. Nice. All right, well, yep. there we go. A little bit of Illinois knowledge dropping from Mr. Sean Davis. Thank you, John, of course, for that question. Sean, I know you got a Jets, so I want to thank you so much for joining it. Awesome stuff from the – from this, the uh, practice report and the mailbag, brother. Look forward to having you back on soon. Hey, thanks, guys. IB Nation. Love you guys. Appreciate you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Vince, got some more. Hunter with another super chat. Hunter, thank you so much. Friendly neighborhood Cincy fans stopping in. Hope y'all have a great season. Rooting for y'all and Coach Freeman. Y'all have amazing content, by the way. Keep it up. Hunter, we really appreciate that. Even though the last time I was in Notre Dame for a live game, Cincinnati broke my heart. I appreciate your super chat very much, sir. So but I'll tell you so what, the, yes. the Cincinnati fans that I ran across were all awesome people. I mean, it, I had no I issue. Can, I, can, I can't say the same. Okay, well, the, the ones I ran across, now nah, it was from the parking lot to the press box and then back, but uh, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, there was too much red in that stadium, but Hunter, we appreciate well, you bringing the, the red into the uh, into the chat here today. It was fantastic. We're going to go now to John Climac. Thanks for the reports. Two weeks till we see what what kind of fight Marcus Freeman brings to the field. I'm sure it won't be a finished product, but I want to see more fights. John could not agree more. It'll be a really nice glimpse into what everyone's been excited about this offseason. Yeah. So thank you so much for the super chat. And I mean, I couldn't reiterate it more, Vince. I, I'm excited to just see what the product finally looks like. I feel like we have not had football right. for so long, you know? There's only so much we can get out of the practices that we see. And then when we get only get the first five periods, it's kind of the same stuff every time. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see some actual football. And as Sean was saying, uh, Tommy Reese getting in the bag, which means he's being super creative with the offensive formations and things. That's what's going to be on display on September 3rd at 7.30 or 8.30, whenever the game starts. That's what I'm excited to see. Absolutely. I know uh, David David Carpenter just put the double D. So it was a Laurent, uh, Brayton Lindsay quote that meant developed and dominating. Uh, David, apologize. Next time we have Sean back, we will circle back with uh, – I'm sure we'll have him on before before the season starts. A super chat from Michael S. What's, what about Maris Loifel? Not seen or heard much about him in practice sessions. Has he had an injury setback? So, Vince, I know we did not see him today because he was uh, no contact today, but you want to fill in a little bit about Maris Loifau. Well, I'll tell you what, in all the practices that we've seen, all of the open practices that we've seen, he has not been starting. And I think the way things are trending, I mean, he didn't get a single rep today um, in, in team or seven-on-seven. Seven. And so I, I would say if I was a betting man, and, and this is me talking, this is not any inside information or anything, but based on the way things are trending, I would say that, no, he's probably not going to start, but I would say that he's going to be an integral part off the bench. And we'll see what happens as far as what he can do, what he's cleared to do, all of those different things. I, look, if Notre Dame's going to beat Ohio State, they're going to need Maris Lufau. I, I, I truly believe that. Whether he's starting or not, that doesn't matter to me. I, that that I don't care. Um, but yeah, it's, as, as Brian said in the chat, we're still two weeks out. And so a lot of things can change between now and then. And frankly, this is our last open viewing. Mm -hmm. I put him out there and let everybody see what he's doing. You know, I mean, you're going to have game prep coming up here in about a week. 
he'll be fine. He looked good to me on the sideline. Um, he's going to play. That, that's how I feel. I feel like he's going to play. I think you're going to need him uh, if you want to win. So I think it's going to happen. We have another super chat from Fred Stadelbar. And apologize if I completely butchered that. I do that from time to time. You guys rock. couple questions. One, timing for Love and Lions and Impemba commitments. Chances uh, they flip Ronan Hannafin and a top 200 quarterback. And number three is BD versus Singer who throws for <laughs> Wow. All right. Is that what going to you guys and who throws further? Uh-huh. That's, that's the question. I, I'm gonna assume I'm gonna assume since Brian Driscoll was a former college quarterback that I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that was a safe assumption that he could throw further. I, I think it's a very safe assumption, especially yes. well, I gotta be careful here. Uh, I, I will say that based on my personal experience, I will also agree that Brian Driscoll can throw the ball much further uh than our boy Singer. Um that's all. That's what I'll say. And there's there's Twitter pictures back from uh, December of 2019 that will back up my story. I'll just say that. Nice, nice. I'll, I'll say Brian can throw further with his left hand. Brian, we need that one back up. We didn't yeah, answer two, two questions. More parts. There we go. <laughs> Number one, timing for love and lions and an impenda commitment. So let's start with that one. So the Jeremiah Love commitments, we're going to – I'm going to put something on the board here kind of soon. So – We've been told by I've been told directly from Jeremiah's side that he wanted to have a commitment done this month. There's still some things that are getting worked out. Notre Dame is still, we believe, the leader in that in that uh, in that particular recruitment. But we will keep everyone updated as far as what the exact timeline is. He has not set a date, but as soon as we have a firm one, we will be able to, to put that out there for Mr. Lyons, Tayshawn Lyons, who is the wide receiver that was just um, just offered last week out of the state of California. They are going to get him on campus this fall, most likely for the Cal game, but that has not been cemented. So getting him on campus is going to be a big step in this recruitment. If it goes well, I I wouldn't picture it going too far after that, but it is definitely going to go into the fall and he is definitely going to get at Notre Dame at some point. Just a question of which exact game he is going to be at. Samuel and Pemba, Similar deal. He's taking it into the fall. He is going to make a December decision. And we know Notre, he'll, he's going to visit Notre Dame this fall. So they save the official visit they have so he can come up to South Bend. We don't feel great about where Notre Dame is right now with this one. But the good thing about it is that you have several months to continue to recruit Samuel and Pemba, get him back on campus. But teams like Georgia, Miami, everyone's coming at him, right? And, you know, there's factors and part of the recruitment that, need to get ironed out and figured out, but Notre Dame has some time, but right now I would not call them near the leader in that one. I really wouldn't say there is a leader. I know some people have been saying Miami, Georgia, it's kind of all over the place depending on who you talk about. And that could change very quickly because there's still several months in that recruitment. Chances we flip Ronan Hannafin in a top 200 quarterback. The Ronan Hannafin thing, I think that he's very firm to Clemson. I, I don't know. I don't know what the process is going to be with him moving forward. If I'm being completely honest, I don't want to spitball and say, I'm sure they'll keep in contact, but I, I just, I don't know necessarily if he's a flippable type of kid. Cause it took a long time to get to that decision. He's very well thought out. So is his family. They did their due diligence. So I, I, I don't know how realistic that one is top 200 quarterback. We'll see. There's a couple quarterbacks that, Notre Dame is talking to right now that I think would be in the close to top 200 quarterback status. 
So I still am a firm believer that Notre Dame is going to get a quarterback in this class. Now, the question is, who is it? There's a couple options on the board. But, Fred, I do think there's a reasonable chance that Notre Dame could end up with a top 200 quarterback when it's all said and done. So that answers that one. Boom. Thank you again for that super chat. We're going to go to another super chat. A lot of great super chats today. Thank you all so much. Man. From RCURN with Irish Luck, if Andrew K, Andrew Christophic, was solid last year with the past O-line coach, I have to think that he could be above average at his floor with Hot Watt and Harry Heastan. Vince, your thoughts on that? 100%. 100%. Like, there, there was there a drop-off between him and Jared Patterson? Yes. And that, that that's nothing against Andrew Christophic. That's just because Patterson's really, really good. Okay? He's the first man in at guard. I, I really do believe that. We didn't see – he was the only one that took number one reps uh, that I noticed today. And the line was still getting movement, getting push. I, look, Andrew Kostovic is going to be a really good guard. He'll probably start next year at guard uh, for Notre Dame at, from the start of the season. And so Andrew Kostovic is going to be a really, really good guard. It's just this year you've got Josh Lug, who's a six-year senior, and you've got Jarrett Patterson, who's the number one center in the country, and they're just bumping him over to guard. It, he's just kind of the third man of a two-man battle, and, that, and it, it sucks for him, but mm-hmm. – just based on this injury to Jared Patterson, he's got to be ready. And there's injury history with with uh, Josh Lug, right? And so Andrew Kristoffic is going to have to be ready. He's going to play this year at some point. And I have no qualms about him playing. I think he's going to do a great job. Well, Vince, we talked about this the other day. I mean, the blessing in disguise for the mess that was the offensive line last year, a lot of guys played, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, like, they got a lot of experience, man. So you – Created a lot of depth last year. And again, did we want to see the offensive line in the state that it was last year? Absolutely not. But the fact of the matter is the fact that there were some injuries and some uneven play, you did get Andrew Kristoffic a lot of playing time. Michael Carmody played some football games. Zeke Carell played, even though it wasn't the best. So like we guys got the opportunity to play. Tosh Baker played a few football games. So they created depth for themselves. So I, I think Andrew Kristoff is going to be fine. If he has to start against Ohio Absolutely. State, if Jared Patterson isn't able to go, I'm not overly worried. Is it going to be quite as good as Jared Patterson? Of course not. But right. I, I still have confidence in Andrew Kristoff that he could play good, solid football. All right. We're going to move on to the next one from Tommy Guns. What's up, Tommy? Does Brandon Davis Swain have the same potential upside floor ceiling as Keon Keeley? Of course, Brandon Davis Swain is out of the state of Michigan in the 2024 class, the first recruits in the 2024 class for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So, Tommy, for me, first got to compare them as players, right? Keon Keeley was being recruited as a Viper that, like, maybe he'd be a strong side defensive end eventually. Who knows? But, you know, he's 6'6", 240-plus pounds. Brandon Davis Swain is more in the 6'4", 240-something pound frame. But if you see – if you look at his body – I could easily vision him being a strong side defensive end and maybe even an interior defensive lineman eventually, but definitely strong side defensive end, preferably compared to a Viper. I look, this is the truth that, you know, I I'm always going to come with you guys from the truth, right? Keon Keeley was the best recruit in the 2023 class. Right. In my opinion, no doubt. he still is. I think Brandon Davis Swain is an, excellent prospect and he's ranked as a top 50 recruit by I think one or two platforms and I think he has a lot of inside outside potential I think he's explosive I think he's powerful but he's not Keon Keeley all due respect to him I think he's going to be a really good football player at Notre Dame though it's just I mean Keon Keeley is 
in the top five ranked prospects pretty much across the board in the 2023 class for a reason. Could he get there? Could Brandon Davis Swain make a type of jump? Sure. He has the talent level. Like if you told me Brandon Davis Swain was a top 25 player when it's all said and done, I would believe you. But again, I think that Keon Keeley has an argument for being the best player in his recruiting class. So it's just a little bit different in my opinion. Vince, I don't know if you've seen Brandon Davis Swain, but I just really, again, wanted to reiterate Keon Keeley is a special football player, obviously. I, I I don't really want to uh, get too far into the weeds because you pretty much covered it, but they're both really, really good football players. But Keon Keeley is at, at a different level. He just is. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, that's nothing against Brandon Davis Swain. He's just not Keon Keeley. Right. Okay. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's, I mean, <laughs> when, when, when you have a guy like a Keon Keeley, it, it's almost like saying the Viper in 2023 for Notre Dame. Oh, he's not quite as good as I faith as a Foskey. Okay. <laughs> like that's right. a great football player. I mean, right. it doesn't mean you still can't be a really good and impactful football player just because you aren't quite as good as, as a certain player. I mean, it just is what it is. Exactly. So yeah, no doubt. But Tommy, it's a great question. It I'm is. excited about Brandon Davis Swain. I'm excited about the 2024 class as well as the 2023 class still. So appreciate the question though, Tommy, as always. We're going to move on to Christopher Crosby. There was a lot of coaching changes this year. Outside of Notre Dame, who is a player you expect to excel under their new coaching staff? This is a weird one. Uh, Actually, it's a fun one, I meant to say. Not weird, Christopher. I don't know why I said weird. Mine is Justin (laughs) Flo in Oregon with Dan Lanning. Christopher, that's an interesting one. And Vince, I'll give you a second if if, one pops in your head. but all you, buddy. Okay, so Justin Flo has only played in, I think, two football games in his career at Oregon. He only played in one last season. But that one game he played, he had 14 tackles and two tackles for loss. He's an incredibly athletic and explosive linebacker. I hope, Christopher, to your point, that Justin Flo is able to stay healthy. If he is, he's a really talented football player. And I agree that he could excel with Dan Lanning next to a guy like a Noah Sewell. But that's a good one. I... So a coaching change that they think is going to kind of open things up. So one one player that I am thinking of is, okay, perfect one. Ready? So well, I was just actually talking to someone earlier today about a, a Miami, uh, Zion Nelson, that starts left tackle for the University of Miami. So quick backstory on him. He was a former high school tight end, came to the University of Miami, was only 240 pounds, bulked up and was a starting left tackle as a freshman at like 260, 270 pounds and should not have been starting for Miami at left tackle when he was a freshman. But he took his lumps in his game against game against Florida that year. And now we're sitting here three years later and he's been better at left tackle over the last two years. He's now 6'5", 316 pounds with 35-inch arms. He's a legit NFL draft prospect, but it still hasn't been perfect. He's been better though. It's linearly, there's been progression for Zion Nelson, but I'm excited about Mario Cristobal coming in because not as not only is Mario Cristobal an offensive line guy, they also have Alex Mirabel coming over from Oregon as well, who's the offensive line coach that was with the Penne Souls of the world and made some really good Oregon offensive lines. So I'm excited about Zion Nelson, hopefully having some better coaching offensive line wise. So that one's a little bit off the wall, but Christopher, I do like your pick. I really don't even think it's it, I don't even think it's Dan Landing's creation though with Justin Flo. Just needs to stay healthy, man. Like he just hasn't been healthy. So we'll see. But it's a, it's a really good question. So Vince, we have one. Looks like a little safety talk here. Corey D says it appears DJ Brown will start with Brandon Joseph. Huh? We we didn't talk about that. Does DJ Brown as a starter worry you? It worries me. So Vince, you talked about it. Houston Griffith was taking rest with the one. We see Ramon Henderson 
Uh, Corey seems to think that DJ Brown may start. So your thoughts just on DJ Brown as a player and potential starter if he does get that nod? Yeah, well, I would have said before going into today that that DJ Brown was probably going to be the starter. I mean, that's what it looked like based on the reps we were seeing and, and things of that nature. As far as being worried about it, I mean, look, I don't root for certain kids. Um, you know that I don't, I don't know these kids well enough to root for anybody or, or whatever. I assumed, to be honest with you, that Ramon Henderson was going to be the guy that was going to get the start, and he's been running with the second team pretty consistently. Um, there's been a bit of a rotation with the first team between Houston Griffith and DJ Brown. I think all four of those guys are going to play though. You know, Joseph Brown, uh, Griffith and, uh, and Henderson. I I think all four of them are going to play, you know, DJ Brown, he hits hard. His tackling has been an issue in the past. I get that. Uh, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's always in the right place at the right time, which when you're a coach, it's something that you really like to have, okay? And and there's not really a whole lot of substitute for having a guy in the right place at the right time, even if he's just slowing a guy up and allowing the rest of the guys to, to rally to the football, you know, that kind of a thing. So I don't really have an issue with DJ Brown. He won the spot. If he's the starter, then he won the spot. Uh, I was hoping that maybe some other guys might surpass him. But if he won the spot and he's better than the other guys, then he's the one that deserves to start. Yeah. Yep. We'll see how it kind of works out again. There's a few good options. Oh, look who it is. Coming to save the day. Brian Driscoll joined the show. Brian, we're doing a good enough job, apparently. Huh? No, 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 no. Don't even, don't even try that. <laughs> uh, Vince and I are both battling a little, uh, little uh, issue today. So uh, Vince is going to take on half. Little, he's got a little head cold. I have a, a migraine uh, that has made it hard to see straight today. But you know what I always say, Vince? Rule number, rule number 76. No excuses. Play like a champion. So I am back. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's start out here. We're excited to have Brian on the show with us, as always. Tyler Smith with the Super Chat. How is James Laurinaitis doing? Being from Ohio and watched him play, was was wondering how he's doing with the boys. Go Irish, beat Ohio State. From everything, I mean, look, we see him at practice, and he's coaching up guys and everything, and he's very active and energetic from what my guys tell me. You know, but the thing is, Ryan, he's still kind of getting used to being a coach, right? So there's going to be some of that, but he's got the energy. He knows the game. Uh, and from what I've been told so far, the players really gravitate to him. So, and the other thing, too, is, James Laronitis's ability to be effective is going to have a lot to do with, with Al Golden. And what I mean by that is not every defensive coordinator, especially a veteran defensive coordinator, someone that's accomplished what Al Golden has accomplished, is going to necessarily want to allow a young, unproven guy, no matter his NFL and college experience, to just come in and take over the position group at times. Well, he's done that with James Laronitis from, from, from the guys that have been at practice that I've talked to, like my guys that have been at practice you know, from other people that have been around that are around the team that, you know, that he's given James Arnitis a voice and that's important. And, and it may seem like a no brainer, but anyone that's been in this business, Ryan knows egos a lot of times make people make bad decisions. And from everything I have been told, Al Golden, Al Golden has embraced James Arnitis and, and looks at him as an asset, not as anything other than, than that. I mean, a guy that, Hey, look, I got a 10 plus year NFL veteran who was one of the the greatest linebackers of the last 30 years in college, right? Mm -hmm. Why would I not want to take advantage of that in my room? And he's done that. And I think that's uh, helped. And he's going to get better and better and better as he gets more and more comfortable with number one teaching 
And then number two, teaching to a level that's more receptive to college players as opposed to, you know, the language he's been speaking the last however many years, which is an NFL language, which is different than college. I mean, it's a more advanced language, right? It's the difference between like, you know, Spanish 101 and then you're in like your master's level classes of Spanish, right? Or, you know, whatever language you want to choose. So that's, uh, you know, but so far so good. Mm-hmm. Rams all-time leading tackler, James Laurinaitis, as I like to call him. Yeah, that's going to move on. Right, it's decent. Rams had some good linebackers over the years. Yeah, he was he wasn't on the best Rams teams of all time, but you know he he did his job. Obviously, we're going to uh, beat. It's it's (laughs) not not his his fault. fault. You're you're not wrong about that. We're going to Brian BK PTSD victim. That's a great name. Not sure if you guys have talked about this yet, but what were your thoughts on the Manti Teo documentary? Brian, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. So this is all you. Okay. Yeah, so me and my wife watched it two days ago, so Wednesday nights. I really enjoyed it for the simple fact of it's – I think that it did a great job. It was unfair from the beginning, if we're being completely honest, right? I mean, a guy got catfished, and he got deceived, and people tried to paint him out to being the bad guy. That's what happened with Manti Teo. And – this documentary unveiled the truth behind everything. And I think most people understood that like, it wasn't Manti's fault, right? Like that's it's, it literally happens. There's a show on MTV called catfish. Like this stuff happens and it's a very unfortunate circumstance. And it's even more unfortunate because the person that tried to act like the victim and at the end of the day also did it right around when his grandmother passed away, which is just like, that's such a sick thing, man. Like it was just really really horrible that that happened to Manti. And it really, I mean, it really tarnished what he did as far from a, from a national perception, you know, because Notre Dame fans, I think still appreciate the greatness that was Manti Teo in the season that he had in 2012. Do we talk about him enough though? That's the thing, Ryan. Like Sean, well, from a national perspective, no, from a national perspective, I'm talking about Notre Dame. I'm talking even Notre Dame. So Sean Stiers and I were talking about this last night because Sean, Sean actually, they did a whole show on it last night. So if you, Mm -hmm. if you don't watch the IB nation sports, uh, sports talk show, which is at six o'clock every night uh, on Monday to Thursday, you you're missing out because they talked about this last night, Ryan. And that was the conversation that, because Sean had asked if I'd seen it and I told him I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I, I want to, but I haven't had a chance to do it yet. And what, what Sean and I were talking about is Manti Teo was the most decorated linebacker in the history of college football. Not, not just Notre Dame, but the history of college football. You're talking about a guy that was a Heisman runner-up, won every award manageable. I mean, or, I mean, possible that he could he could win. I'm, I'm going to pull up his resume from his, from his senior season. He won the Maxwell Award, which is not a linebacker or defensive. That's the best player in college football. He won the Lott Trophy. He won the Chuck Bednarik Award. He won the Walter Camp Award, which, again, is for the best player in the country, regardless of position. You know, he won the Nagurski Award. He won the Butkus Award. He won the Lombardi Award. He was a unanimous All-American. And he won uh, – and he and he was, a, a excuse me, runner-up to the Heisman. And to put that into perspective, here who has won – here's who's won the Walter Camp Award since, since Manti won it. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Derrick Henry, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Tua Tungvaloa, Joe Burrow, Devontae Smith, Kenneth Walker Jr. Quarterbacks, a couple running backs, and a wide receiver. And a lot of those dudes won the Heisman Trophy. Manti won that award in 2012. And so, and same thing with the Maxwell Award. I mean, if you look at who's won the Maxwell Award since then, it's A.J. McCarron in 2013, which is a little shaky. 
Marcus Mariota, Derrick Henry, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Tua Tungvaloa, uh, Joe Burrow, Devontae Smith, and Bryce Young. All right, so th- these are not awards handed out to linebackers very often. And Manti won both of those awards. Matter of fact, I'm trying to kind of go back and find when the last time a linebacker won that award, and I'm now in the 80s, and I still haven't found it yet. So I'm going to go ahead and stop looking. Uh, and I'm now in the – I mean, I guess you could maybe count Hugh Green as an outside linebacker who won it 1980, Ryan, you know, in, in the in – the, so, I, I, would, I wouldn't count at, him. As a defense at, best, <laughs> at best, yeah. 1980. At best, uh-huh. since a, a linebacker won that kind of award. And and we don't talk about him the way that we should as Notre Dame fans, I, to be honest with you, because it's kind of like it, it's a touchy subject, right, with everything that happened. But it's just – it's it's sad that, that Manti doesn't get the love that he gets. And, again, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what the document – I mean, you, you've told me some things, and Sean Styers has yeah. told me some things, and other people have told me some things about it. But the reality is this is one of the greatest players of this generation. And, and he wasn't just good as a senior. I mean, you and I were talking about this the other day. His numbers, even before that, were even better. I mean, you know, he he the, the seven interceptions in 2012 were really impressive, right? I mean, those those were those were really impressive numbers. But you know, in that in that season, Manti had 113 tackles. He had five and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks. But he had seven picks, which was huge. And he was a great player, even beyond the production. But in 2011, he had 128 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss and five linebackers or five sacks. In 2010, he had 129 tackles and eight and a half tackles for loss. And then as a true freshman, he had 63 tackles and five and a half tackles for loss. I mean, this is a kid that was an incredibly productive player with, I, I believe he had over 400 career tackles, if I'm doing the math on that correctly. So... And, and we and we just don't hear about him. And whenever his name is brought up, it's like as a joke. Oh, you know, yeah. Manti Teo's girlfriend and all this other kind of stuff. 437 career tackles. Manti Teo had 437 career tackles. Most decorated linebacker in history. And, and we just don't talk about him enough. And it's because of the uneasiness of when you mention his name, it, it, it isn't just about what he did as a football player. It always has that associated with it. And that's sure. kind of heartbreaking, to be completely honest with you. It really yeah. is. And, and, and without, again, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I want people to go watch the documentary because I really did think it was really well done, very informative. But I'm happy that I think a lot of people got the full scope of the situation from a national perspective because now yeah. I think, honestly, this is going to sound dumb because like a lot of people don't know him personally, but like a lot of people owe him a a a apology. Like they, sure. they truly do because there were a lot of vulgar and disgusting jokes and quotes and it's just it was just not great for Manti. Yeah. so yeah. here's what i hope here's what i'm really 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 hoping happens i want to see notre dame act quickly to get manti back on campus in a public forum i would yeah. love to see manti back at a game manti back in some capacity where because he's been back to games but he's never been promoted as manti's back and I right. think part of it, I, this is my guess, my opinion. This is not something I know, but it, 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 I do believe it, it. part of it is because of all of that, you know, all, all of the stuff that's associated with it. I hope that now that this documentary is out and Manti has finally had a chance to kind of speak, you know, truth into the situation that yeah. Notre Dame then follows up and says, hey, we got your back. You know what I mean? Let's right. let's get you back in front of the Notre Dame Nation people 
And, and, and I think the environment's changed a lot since then, you know, like I was talking to Sean Styers, like, you know, my wife and I met <clears throat> online and, and that's not something I tell a lot of people because I mean, we were, I told him we were four years into marriage when Manti's thing happened. And I would always mm-hmm. tell people, how'd you meet your wife? Well, I was at a youth pastor's convention and she was at a firefighter's conference. What I don't tell people is we were in different cities. And we met on a on a on a Christian organization, a Christian website that was like not necessarily a dating website, but you know we were friends for a while before we ever kind of took that next step. And and so, but I've always been uncomfortable kind of sharing that for a long time. Not so much anymore. I mean, I've been married fourteen years. I'm pretty happy it's worked out. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, even then, I was married four years to a woman that I had met online, and I was uncomfortable saying, "Hey, I met her online." It was just such a different mm-hmm. environment now where now it's like people do that all the time. And so I think it's a more over over 40 percent of relationships today are online relationships. That's crazy. So that's yes. crazy. Yeah. Yep. But yep. so I, I think it'd be a more welcoming environment and people are more understanding as of, of, you know, how you can kind of it, it, you know get duped into the situation like that. So anyway, I, I would 100%. love to see Manti. I would love to see Notre Dame follow up by getting Manti back on campus. And as Michael S. says, Manti should be celebrated at Notre Dame. And that's what I'm saying, Michael. I And now here's the thing, though. It, it's perfect timing for Notre Dame because now is the 10-year anniversary of that 2012 season. It's now the yeah. 10-year anniversary of Manti having the greatest individual season from, a, from an awards and a recognition standpoint of a linebacker in my lifetime, and I'm in my 40s. So mm-hmm. now is the perfect time really for Notre Dame to do this. They need to do this. And and Notre Dame is usually does a pretty good job of taking care of their own in situations like this, and they need to step up. You got a former linebacker as the head football coach, right? They need to step mm-hmm. up and do something where Manti is honored, you know, before one of these games, you know, bring him back as an honorary captain or, you know, something like that where, <clears throat> you know, where you can give him the due that he deserves for just, you know, just how brilliant of a player he was and, and he was a captain and all those kind of things. So I would uh, – and, look, he was a big part of – what happens if 2012 – where is Notre Dame right now if 2012 doesn't happen? There's a lot of people mm-hmm. not happy with the first two years of the Brian Kelly tenure, especially 2011. And, mm-hmm. you know, the next couple years weren't great either. You know, what happens if Brian Kelly doesn't have that 2012 season? Well, that 2012 season was about Manti. And now he was not alone. It was another other great players a part of that team. But Manti was the driving – he was the heart and soul of that football team. And mm-hmm. um, I would just love to see him back. And Because I, I think now this documentary's out, I don't know if you think this, Ryan, I feel like the reception mm-hmm. would even be more welcoming from Notre Dame fans if Manti oh, was 100%. back. I, I think it would be more welcoming from everyone. I, I think the, the, worst, the worst part of the whole thing, Brian, was seeing how Manti – had to get through some, I mean, like we're talking about, I mean, again, if you haven't seen the documentary, I'm not going to say too much, but I mean, he had to go through therapy and just, Mm -hmm. you know, the mental anguish of everything that was going on. And it was very, very unfortunate. And I agree to someone in the chat that said the, uh, here, right here, the BB, BBG should be coached said those two dead spin reporters are awful people. Yes. If you haven't seen the documentary, I won't say more than that, but yes, those were people were awful, awful people. There's no doubt about that. So moving on though. And I agree with you. Everyone celebrate Manti Teo, greatest Notre Dame player of my my lifetime. Sure, certainly margin. most decorated, no question yes. about it. Yep, yep. 
So let's move on to Blaine Tiller. What does the IB team think of the new broadcasters for the home games this year? And how do you think they compare to previous years? Brian, we haven't talked about this, obviously. Jack Collingsworth and Jason Garrett are the the two announcers. Game day, of course, recently, only a few days ago, was announced. I will say I am very... I'm very... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I, it, it's it's like I'm indifferent, sort of, but like also more disappointed than just indifferent. Like it's just sure. like wow, that that was that that's what we're getting. Huh? I mean, it's yeah. I've listened to Jason Garrett, and I'm just like, no, I'm okay. I don't I don't need to listen to Jason right. Garrett talk. But yeah, it's just another example of of NBC treats Notre Dame like it's the minor leagues. It's it's where they it's where they put guys to kind of work on things or guys that they just have around and. You know they did it with Drew Brees. You know his experiment last year. Now they're experimenting with Jay, with with Jason Garrett. And and I don't know. Maybe he'll do a great job. I, I have no clue. I've never listened to Jason Garrett as an as an. Has he ever done this before? Has he been a play by play guy? Has he done studio analysis before? I have no idea. He, he has. But, yeah, he did. He did. He did some anal, analyst stuff last year, yeah. and I was I, I was not I was not partial to it. Just I'm just thinking that. like his personality would have to change a little bit from when he was a coach. And some really dry press conferences for me to be too thrilled about this. And look, I, I know a lot of Notre Dame people are fired up about Jack Collins' work being the play-by-play guy, and I get that because he is a Notre Dame graduate. I mean, he he mm-hmm. went to Notre Dame. His brother Austin played for Notre Dame in, in the PK tenure. But I just kind of feel like this is Notre Dame. Like he's an up-and-comer, I guess. I've never been a, a huge fan of Jack's work. I mean, it's not bad. I don't. I'm not trying to disrespect Jackie. I don't know him. I've never met him. I, I have no ill will. I'm I'm not one of those people that's going to say, oh, it's because of who his dad is or whatever. I mean, right. you know, because like I grew up listening to his dad do Notre Dame games. His dad used to be a color guy for Notre Dame back in the 90s. So I, I got no problem was, there. But was he, was he more was he more tolerable than he is now? I hope no, he was not really. No. And, and, he, and he would always kind of look for a chance to kind of, you know, it seemed like, to, and, and that's more of an NBC thing, you know, praise the other team, but that's more of an NBC thing. NBC's always been that way. So, but at the time I didn't, you know, it was, it was still kind of early in the NBC contract. It just kind of, I took it like, man, why is this guy rooting against Notre Dame? And I was younger then, you know, I didn't quite get it like I get it now. I would have a different reaction to it now as a 44 year old who now understands what NBC's goal is. And I think it's a silly goal, but his job isn't to change it. His job is to do his job. Right. And that's what they wanted. And you know, and I, I was – the reason I remember is because I was watching the game the other day. I think it was the 92 BC game. I think Collinsworth was doing the, the, the color for that. I think that was the game that it was. There was one of the games I watched recently. You know, but Jack's okay, but it's just kind of like that's the best that you can do. Like you don't have another like top-level, you know, college football play-by-play guy that can do that. I just – you know, it just seems a little – um I don't know. Seems a little strange to me, but um, I mean, that's kind of what NBC does. Like, honestly, you know who I would have liked yeah. to have seen do it is the radio team, Paul Burmeister and sure. Ryan Harris. I'd have been much yeah, happier I'd with li- that. I-, I love Paul and Ryan. Ryan, I think is pretty good too. So yeah, I'd, I'd be. Totally Ryan brings a lot of energy. Like, He's knowledgeable. Like, yeah. the only thing with Ryan from you know, I've gone back and you know, talked to some people and things like that. I think the only thing with him is because he's he's really smart. When he gets mm-hmm. fired up, he starts kind of maybe talking over people a little bit, meaning because he, he gets out. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, which for me, I would love, you know, but that's yeah, something. Same. I mean, Ryan's still kind of young, new at this, right? I mean, that's something that evolves and gets better. But the couple times I've listened to him on the radio, he's got a lot of passion. You know, he's knowledgeable of the game. He can talk about the game. He clearly loves Notre Dame. I mean, he he doesn't live around here. He literally will fly out to Denver, the day, back out to yeah. Denver the day after a game, 
to go do a show he does in Denver. That's how much he wants to be a part of this Notre I, Dame I've, thing. I've been on the radio with Ryan before. Like he brought, they brought me on as an NFL draft guest, and I know he does all that stuff out in Denver too. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. crazy, man. He's I mean, he's good though. He's smart. He's, he's really very, smart. Yeah. And I think Paul Burmeister does a great job on play by play. I think he does 100%. a great job. So that's what I would have liked to see. But you know, Jack is a guy that they're you know is an up and comer that they're trying to raise up and giving him the Notre Dame gig is a is a profile and I, I think in nbc's weird way this is them throwing a bone to notre dame people by finally putting a notre dame person in the booth but it's like that's not the that's not the, that's move, not the guy that wanted. <laughs> not the right, move, right. I, I will yeah. i will give it an open minds i just i had i do have preconceived notions about jason garrett i'll yeah. be very honest about it yeah so. no i do. well and you're you're uh yeah. and you're well you're not an eagles fan that's i keep forgetting your wife's an eagles not, fan i keep not, forgetting not, i keep forgetting no no it's uh let's go to this one yeah. ryan sure let's do it Blaine Tiller asks, which quarterback worries you more against Notre Dame this year, Phil Dracovic or Caleb Williams? Brian, you have a, you have a quick answer on this one, Phil Dracovic or Caleb Williams? Well, which one worries me the most? I mean, to me, it's it's as an individual quarterback, it's Phil Dracovic. I mean, I think individually, the big guy that can bounce off sacks, that you know, that can can make those kind of plays. He's going to be coming into that game with a little bit of extra motivation when, you know, you consider, yeah. you know, the, his story and just kind of where he came from and those type of things. But I think he's the better overall playmaker. I think that the thing about CJ is CJ is playing in an offense where the talent around him is going to be a little better from the skill positions. You know, Phil's got a couple really good – he's got a really good receiver, a really good yes. running back. A, a, we think a good tight end and, and George Takis – Jalen Gill's a nice player, but not an elite player. Whereas sure. at, at USC, I, you, know, you and I were talking about this yesterday. I think Jordan Addison's a little overrated from the standpoint of I don't think he's the best receiver in college football. He's pretty good, though. He's a good player. You know, he's a yeah. pretty good player, though. And he's definitely top five to seven at the very least, right? So, I mean, the overrated tag is not like I think he stinks and all. You know, He's just not the best, and there's guys I'd take over him. I'd be more worried about defending Xavier Worthy, for example, than I would Jordan Addison. It, but it's not just Jordan Addison. It's Mario Williams. It's Brendan Rice. It's Terrell Bynum. It's you know, it's it's a group of players that you got to worry about. It's Travis Dye out of the backfield. So I think yeah. the offense that USC is going to have worries me a little bit more from a skill player standpoint. But just the individual quarterback, uh, Phil would be the one that I would be more concerned with, just because he can run, he can throw down the field. You can have him queued up and hit him, and it just doesn't matter. He's going to bounce off of it and. You know, go back and watch the game they played against BC two years ago. If it's not for Phil Dracovic, that that's a 40-point game. I mean, Agreed. he made some insane plays in that game. Remember the one where he's like throwing left and he just throws like a 50-yard rope and the safety thinks he's got it and all of a sudden it goes over his head to a guy like 20 yards behind him? I mean, it he was, made some bombs. There is a weird, weird little notion on Twitter sometimes that Phil Dracovic doesn't have a strong arm, and I'm just like, you want me to show you that play where he's rolling to his left and right. just throws that bazooka to the it sideline? Like, some of that stuff is weird. Like, if it's like, did you only watch him late in the year last year? Like when he was I, playing I just, with a broken hand? Like, I don't understand I, that one. I think it's because even like pretty traditionally, Phil doesn't throw a tight ball, right? Like the spiral, he doesn't always throw with a tight spiral. So I think that makes people think that he doesn't have a strong arm. I really think that's what right. it is, but like that doesn't mean that. That's just yeah. it's just whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's weird. It's very Twitter's weird. stupid, right, Brian? It really, I, you know it. You see, so you're finally coming around. <laughs> I know there's sarcasm in there, but I'm owning. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. However, I can get it. So here's, well, here's I, another I, one. I've, from I've never disagreed that Twitter was stupid, but for yeah. Lane Tiller. You view Notre it as Dame a necessary evil. I understand. Yes, 
Oh, 100%. Which Notre Dame quarterback since 2000 would you have wanted to have had a change to coach to their coach? Would have That's had a chance to one. coach. Which I would QB, have a chance. Yeah. Oh, I can't read. I can't read. Okay. Yeah, would have had okay. a chance to coach. So, which quarterback since 2000 would you have wanted to have a chance to coach? I mean, he's already coaching. Tommy Reese, I thought, always right. just struck me as a quarterback, as a coach, you know, like yeah. an offensive coordinator. Maybe we'll see what happens eventually. Another guy that. That's I think that's my answer. I, it's lame because it's already reality, Brian. But like, I mean, Brady Quinn could probably fire up the troops. But like, I, I've never looked yeah. at him and been like offensive coordinator ish type of guy. Like Tommy Reese was that guy. Like from the moment I saw Tommy Reese, I was like, that guy is going to be a great coach because he's competitive and he's smart. Like those two things are going to make him a good coach someday. That was my guy. I'm going to take this a different direction. I'm going to read this as which one would I have wanted to have a chance to coach? Mm-hmm. And, and and for me, it would have been Jimmy Clausen. And the reason for that is, is because I would have loved – Jimmy Clausen or Deshaun Kaiser is who the two guys I would have loved to have coached at Notre Dame. And the reason why is I would have put my foot up their behinds, not <laughs> let them get away with that prima donna stuff, told their dads to go take a freaking hike and got the most out of them. Right. Because yeah. if Jimmy Clausen would have had somebody that would have like Charlie Weiss didn't do that. Charlie kind of let Jimmy be Jimmy. And I think it hurt him because not only did Jimmy have his own personality issues, but then he was kind of lifted up on this pedestal and that made it even harder to like him. I would have not have done that. And I think that would have made Jimmy such a better player and, and a more liked and respected player. And the same thing with Deshaun Kaiser. You know, I, I've talked I've had this conversation with someone when, when the turnover happened, when the changeover happened after 2016. There's a couple coaches like, man, we wish that Deshaun would have come back because we wouldn't have treated him that way. You know, we we would have we would have gotten the most out of him because we wouldn't have let him act that way. You know, maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have, but the reality is, um, you know, to me, I would have loved to have coached Jimmy Clausen because I would have taken a whole different approach on him. I, no question. I just realized that I, I read this question wrong twice. So to answer the question the way it was actually intended to be answered, <laughs> my answer would actually be Brandon Wimbush. Because yeah. I would not, ha- I would have let him. That's a good be point. Who he was and not a really try good point. to change him. Like Brandon, be who you are, brother. Yeah. I am not going to make you do something that you're not comfortable with being. You be you. That's where I would go. Yeah. I would say Brandon Wimbush because I really do think that the coach is just mentally just fried him, man. Like yeah, he was just, it that's was, a it was really done. good one. That's a really yeah. good one, Ryan. Really good one. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when I can read, I make a good point occasionally. So yeah, it's all know. good. It's all good. You're used to me doing it. It's all good. I put you in a tough spot today, but you know what? You're stepping up to the plate and getting it done. It's all good, buddy. Here's here's a good one. I'm gonna read this one, Ryan, because this is gonna be yep. more for you. Uh okay. Brandon Plensner says, B Ryan, who are a couple Viper prospects in the 23 cycle that you'd personally like to see Notre Dame go after? I'm curious to see. There's a couple that I really like, Ryan, and I'm curious to see if you if you mention them. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to mostly stick with the guys that are on the Notre Dame board, Brandon. I know we've seen a couple a couple offers that have come out. Caleb Herring's one, of course, out of Tennessee. I know we've talked a lot about Blake Purchase out of the state of Colorado. He's a little bit of a smaller version of a Viper. And then we just saw um, Jaden Moore, excuse me, out of California be a recent offer. I really like the offer to, to Herring. And personally, Brian, I really like both defensive ends that are committed to Tennessee right now. So I would mm-hmm. be recruiting my tail off for either Caleb Herring or Chandavian Bradley. I think both of yeah. them have 
big time upside, man. Like both incredibly long. Bradley's like 6'4", 6'5", but he's got vines and he is explosive. He's also a notable basketball player. Caleb Herring is, I have no idea why it's 6'6", 220. They're like, we're going to play you as an overhang defender. But like the kid can move, man. So I would be targeting both those Tennessee kids, I think. Like that would be my – I like Blake Purchase – I like Jane Moore a little bit from just a talent perspective, but those two, they're not needle movers. Kids. No, yeah. they, they not, fit a not, role, not but they're not, needle not movers. to those kids. Mm-mm. Absolutely no. not. Yeah. There's a couple that you, Caleb Herring and Shandavian Bradley are definitely two on my board and, and they're two guys with offers. So, you know, it would make sense. Another guy that has an offer that I would make a run at is Colton Vasek. I think he could be a That's viper a in, in, in a similar tradition to key. I mean, he's not as good as Keon Keeley, not close, but he plays a very similar game and has a very similar skill set, just not as explosive and dynamic as Keon's is, you know, 6'5", mm-hmm. 230, you know, really athletic kid, just not, I mean, very similar players. Keon's just a better version of it, you know, sure. committed to Oklahoma and he's a teammate of Jaden Greathouse, right? So you'd, you'd have a guy in his ear all the time if you chose to do that. And then maybe if Oklahoma doesn't like you, say, okay, you back off Peyton Bowen and we'll back off Colton Vassick, right? Right. Um, hey, that's a, good, that's a fair uh, trade, honestly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a kid from Oklahoma committed to Michigan State named By Job. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, maybe it's Joby. He's a really good player. He, he's, he might be more of a tr- big end in the Notre Dame defense, but I think he's really twitchy, and I think he can really play on the, in, in a Viper in a traditional defensive end role. I wouldn't necessarily be dropping him into coverage a lot. But he's a guy. And then the other one is there's a kid from, I don't know if you've seen him, but I believe he's from Utah. His name is Tassilia Kana. I ranked him number 75 overall in my top 100. He's about a 6'3, 6'4, 215, 220 pound kid. That is the, a prototype Viper in, in the, the way that Notre Dame used it last year. He can rush the edge. He's got some power. He's really athletic and smooth. He can drop in a coverage. You know, he can get up underneath the curl. He can buzz the flats. He can do some of those things you want that all-around Viper to do. He's uncommitted. Oklahoma's considered a, a strong leader for him from what I've read, but Oklahoma's already got a couple defensive ends. They yeah. may actually be recruiting him as a linebacker if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I'd have to guess, but he's definitely a guy that I would go after as well just to kick the tires because there's going to be one of these top kids that's really talented that you're going to look at and be like, okay, this kid, this kid likes us, right? And just – I'd kick the tires on a bunch of them. I mean, you got – what, we're – August 19th. So you've basically got four, what, four months before signing mm-hmm. day almost. I'd kick the tires on a lot of those kids. And then if you go out and have the kind of season you think you're going to have, and Keon, or not Keon Kelly, goodness gracious, Isaiah Foskey <laughs> does what you think he's going to do as a player, then you yeah. got something great to sell. So that's what I would do. I, I mean, I wouldn't be afraid to go after some of those committed kids and then some of those top ranked kids that people think are going other places. I, I'd be all over. I've heard people talk about like Tamorian Parker, who decommitted from Penn State from Alabama. He commit decommitted from Penn State because he's looking to stay in the South. I don't think that one would work. And he's a big end. Tamora Parker's yeah. a big end. He he he's not a guy that I would look at for that open role. And and I don't I think that would be kind of a waste of resources to be honest with you. Because most kids that decommit like that have an idea of the schools they're going to consider. It's like Keon, mm-hmm. for example. He has already got two visits set up to Ohio State and 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 uh, Alabama. I've heard that he may may go visit Florida. There's already a list of schools that he's going to consider. Some may jump in, but he didn't decommit just opening it back up wide opening up. to everybody, yes. right? Like he, there's a list of schools that he likes. I, That's usually I, I how really, it goes, Ryan. I, I was about to say, I, I don't like the, I'm opening up my recruitment. No, you're, you're just decommitting and you have a few right. schools that you're talking to. Like, right. that's what it is. So like right. opening up makes it sound like I'm open to anything. Yeah. No, no, wide that's, open that's again. No, 
Yeah, yeah. but I mean, you're more out. receptive to others, but you know, sure. we'll we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I, I like I like the Colton Vasic one though because he, I mean, he's already proven because he's got the Texas ties. His dad went to Texas. He's already proven once that like he'll go away from the tradition right. there in Texas, right. right? But I mean, he is long and he's got really good hands, man. And he, I mean, he's got a body where he can hold probably another 40, 50 pounds when mm-hmm. it's all said and done. He's a really, yeah. really interesting football player. Really interesting. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Here's one for you, Ryan. This is a good one from Archer2452. If you could attend any regular season game this year that doesn't involve Notre Dame, which would it be and why? See, I, I think that I think most people would probably look at like the Texas Alabama game or like one of those big games that we've kind of been highlighting a little bit. But I think I would want to go to like a, a, a really big tradition game that I haven't been to. Right. Like I think about like the Iron Bowl with Auburn, Alabama. I've never been there. It's, it seems incredible. I, I want to kind of experience that. Ohio State, Michigan would be another one I would like to just see because of the atmosphere. So I would probably go with one of those really big tradition games. I, I would say the Iron Bowl just for like the Alabama Auburn because those games, no matter how bad or how good Auburn is, or vice versa, it always seems to be a really good game. Like Auburn stunk last year, and Alabama was probably the best team in the country at that time because yeah. they had some injuries, and, and Alabama or Auburn outplayed them for fifty nine minutes. I mean, it, yes. it, it, they really did. I think the – I'm with you. I like the traditional games, but there's some that I don't really care to see this year. Like, I don't really care about the Georgia-Florida game this year because I just don't think Florida will be necessarily overly competitive. You know, I think a game that I, I would I'm, I would like to see is uh, – this year that's going to be very interesting is the Red River Shootout, which is – it's the Red River Shootout. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, that's a game I'd like to see. I, I've always wanted to kind of go there, you know. I think that would be a fun game to go to. And then this year in particular, though, would be a great year to see the Ohio State-Michigan game. Because oh, yeah. that, Michigan that, I mean, last year. <laughs> with Michigan beating them last year, and it's like, yeah. it, you know, and I think Michigan will, you know, be an eight, nine win team at least by then because of their schedule. Uh, that's going to be a wild game. That's going to be a great, I mean, because I've watched that game. There's no individual game I've watched more other than Notre Dame Navy, Notre Dame USC. There's no game I've watched more in my life than Michigan Ohio State because I grew up in Ohio. That's just kind of what we did on the Saturday after Thanksgiving is, you know, that at noon, we'd watch Ohio State, Michigan, and then watch the Notre Dame game later. And, and so that's one that I wouldn't mind going to see. But in, in normally, like, I would love to see USC, UCLA, and the Rose Bowl. I would love yeah, to watch one. that. I don't know if this is the year I'd want to see it. Uh, I well, wish you, I didn't don't have to go to, to California to, to see California. it. There <laughs> you go. That's what I'm saying. I wish I didn't have to go to California to watch it. 
yeah. you know, but uh, maybe I could just like like parachute in and then just have me helicoptered out. So I only ever touch the part of California in the stadium. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't see that happening. So unless I win a Texas, billion Oklahoma dollar lottery. Texas, Oklahoma would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Texas, Oklahoma yeah. would be good to your point. That's, yeah, that's what I, like I was saying. One. Yeah, the Red River shootout. Yeah, yeah that'd be a good, good game. And I think this year's game is going to be very interesting because I think they will most likely be the two te- best teams in the Big 12 this year. And how yeah. many more times are we going to see that as part of the Big 12? Not a lot, right? So I think that you know which one You know which one I've always wanted to see, which is kind of a weird one? I don't think they call it the Holy War anymore, but Utah-BYU be kind oh, of Oh, they still do. I think they still do. Those, yeah, I think so. I, I, th- I thought they changed it a couple years ago because something I forget, but that those fan bases hate each other, man. I yeah. would love to just be on a fly on the wall and just see fan interaction at that game. Like, they do yeah. not like each other at all. Yeah, I hope they didn't change the – I hope they didn't I change they that. Did. That would be I lame. Could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I'm looking here. It says uh, it's still listed as the as the name given. There was another one that was called the okay. Holy War that changed. Uh, uh, there was two, and I think it was a smaller school thing uh, that was called that. So, uh, but yeah, I, I would hope that they would still be called that because that would be that would be really lame if they changed that uh, if they changed that one. Um, I yeah. guess Notre Dame so and just... BC used to be called that. So oh, did it? Really? I didn't know that. Didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So interesting. I don't know. Someone said the Virginia tech entrance. I would like to see enter Sandman when they're yeah. rocking. At yeah. the stadium. It's, it's ESPN cool. has asked their employees to avoid using Holy war in the references to it, but they haven't changed the, the rivalry gotcha. has not changed. So that's ESPN being ESPN. And we're going to move that's, on from that conversation. That's but what I must have it's heard. The Holy war. It. So screw ESPN. All right, John Leahy says, B. Ryan, out of the top 10 quarterbacks in the 23 class, who has the best and worst scheme fit? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. question. I I think, I think, look, I'll say this again. I think Nick, I think Nico going to Tennessee was the best thing that he did. He, like, I've said this Mm -hmm. sometimes you make a, you make the, a a decision for the wrong reasons, but it Mm -hmm. ends up being the right decision. And I think Nico went to Tennessee because they gave him a huge deal. Like, I think that's why he picked Tennessee. However, if NIL wasn't a thing and I was simply advising him on what's the best place for you to go, Tennessee is one of my two to three because Josh Heupel's success in in, in producing that type of quarterback. We've seen it at mm-hmm. UCF. We saw it especially last year with Hooker. And, and so I think that was a, a great, great fit, scheme fit and coaching fit because – that's the thing for me is it's got to be that too. So they'll let him use his legs, but not necessarily build him as a, like Hendon runs a lot, but they don't like run him a lot. You know what I mean? Like it's, he got 600 plus yards last year, a lot of scrambles, you know, read zones where he's not like, you're not running a ton of power. Oh, you know, Q power with Hendon hooker. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're definitely not going to do the same thing with Nico. So that would be my fit for the best, the best one, Ryan, what would, what would be your, I, I like your work. Your I, I like, I, I like Arch Manning in the te- in the Steve Sarkeesian yeah. offense. I mm-hmm. think that one makes a lot of sense. I mean, like they are creating and navigating a ton of space. I think that Arch is really good as far as the ball placement for the most part. I think he's got that tall frame. He's going to stand well in the pocket, do all this type of stuff. I really do like him in Sark's offense. I think that he yeah. he, he he found a uh, he found a really good fit in my opinion in that offense. Yeah, I mean, and and I think getting out of the SEC is good too, but. To your, sure. We were talking about this in the show we did at CFB Nation the other day with John Garcia. And if you haven't 
checked it out, we we now have launched our CFB Nation podcast. So you can find that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, CFB Nation. It's the one with the red, white, and blue logo, not the uh, black and yellow, red, white, and blue. Uh, so uh, you'll definitely want to use that. I'm going to say this. This is this is going to sound bad because it's going to sound like sour grapes. It really is, and I don't mean yeah. it to be. But I think I the worst scheme fit is Dante Moore. I mean, look, look, here's all I all I know of what Kenny Dillingham has done is what he's done at Tennessee or me- Memphis and Florida State, and neither of which showed me that he's going to be a fit. That Dante's a fit for what's he what he wants to do there. So I just. Um, I, I thought that was a bad fit. I thought that was a bad fit for Dante. So uh, the only other one that I thought was like a, necessarily not a great fit was uh, Eli Holstein going to Bama, just because that's an offense that relies on precision and timing and ball placement. And those are not strengths for Eli Holstein right now. So those are the two to me that are the worst fits. Like I thought Eli should have gone to Georgia where there's not mm-hmm. as much, you know, pow- you know, you're playing in a power system, you just play action, use your big arm, you know, don't have to be precise all the time. I thought he'd have been a better fit there. I don't think he's a guy that I see being a fit in Alabama's pro style system. So Dante and and uh, and uh, Eli Holstein are my two. You know who's a, who's actually a really good fit too. Now that I'm just like looking at the list, Jackson Arnold in Oklahoma is a really good fit. I mean, if we're on and like yeah. you know, that, that Jeff, Jeff Levy offense, like yeah. I, I think that he's a pretty good fit overall. Yeah, I don't really have one that like pops out that's like a bad fit out i mean yeah. i think dante is a good one i think there's definitely fits that could have made a lot more sense i also like malachi nelson in usc if he's fixed there because yeah i mean in that in that air raid ish type of offense like that boy can can throw a deep ball man so like most I think of the well. most of the ones i've seen are good fits uh yeah. the one that i the another one that i didn't love did you see chris parsons the other day committed to mississippi state I did not see that. I, that one does oh, not make a lot of sense to me. In, in that in that super timing based offense, yeah. on scripts, not you're not really using his. Yeah, yeah, you're not using his legs. That one yeah. didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I didn't quite That's understand that one. one. I didn't quite understand that one at all. So, but being a lot of these others, like JJ Cold, Iowa State's a good fit. Jaden Rashad mm-hmm. at Miami is a you know from what I know, I mean he can he that's a good fit. You know Josh Gaddis from Michigan like to throw the ball down the field and he's got a big arm yeah. and the big kid Chris Vizine at Clemson's a good fit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know there's there's been a, I haven't really had a lot of issues with oh wow why fits. did that kid go you know what I mean right yeah so I just you know I think most of those fits are pretty good I uh, you know I think I think Dante going to Oregon didn't make a lot of sense and mm-hmm. was a questionable decision but we know why he made it. And mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't like the Chris Parsons at Mississippi State one. That just doesn't doesn't seem like a good fit either. Yeah, and I like him I actually. I, yeah, like I like in him the too. right offense, in the right offense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he needs to be in like a. Someone just said like Avery De- Avery Johnson at Kansas State's a good fit. I agree, that's a good fit. I, he needs that type. Chris Parsons needs that type of offense though, like that right. movement based system. Get him out. Let him kind of be him. You know, like don't take him out of his elements like mississippi state's like one of the worst like you, you know who'd be good at mississippi state dante moore dante moore would be great at mississippi state like that would yes. be a phenomenal oh my thing. gosh yes fo- getting the ball out of your hand super quick jackson yeah. arnold would be pretty good at mississippi state like those are the yeah. types of quarterbacks that are mississippi state dante especially because i think jackson arnold can have some issues with ball placement at times yeah. especially when he's mm-hmm. pressured and that air raid leaves the quarterback vulnerable i think dante handles that stuff really well like one of the reasons I love Don, he can throw off platform, throw off script. He can kind of go sidearm and get around a pressure guy. Yeah. You know this, right? Those air raids, they'll just leave guys unblocked. And as a quarterback, 100%. it's your job to make a miss on a freaking post route. 
Like some of the shots that Jared Goff had to take in college, it was like designed where we're not blocking that guy. It's up to Jared to buy time and get the throw off. And yeah. and it's just a weird system. But I think Dante would throw for, a, I mean, 55, 5,800 yards in that system. That may seem like I'm being hyperbolic. I'm not. I mean, that that that's the kind of system that they do. I mean, what was the kid that yes. Washington State had a couple of years ago under Leach? Didn't he throw for over five? And that kid, Anthony oh, uh, Anthony, Anthony Gordon, Gordon, right? Yeah, like that kid threw yeah. for what? What did he do a couple of years he, ago? He threw for like four K, I think. Five thousand five hundred seventy nine. Yeah, oh and forty eight touchdowns. Could you now again? Like the reason I think Dante's numbers will be similar is because he'd be playing in the SEC, not the Pac twelve. Sure, right. So sure. 5,500 in the 5,500 in the pack 12 is, is more like 48, 49 mm-hmm. in the SEC. But he'd yeah. throw for a ton of yards in that all in that. I system. mean, just no just question. look at this, the numbers that uh, Will Rogers put up last year. And like, I know Will Rogers is not very talented, no. man. Like, no, he's, he's really not. not. No, he's not. Ugh. So I was reading some lists with him as like a top 10 quarterback. I'm like, the, the only way you can have him in that is if it's a if it's a just looking at numbers. Production. Yeah, because yeah. he had four thousand seven hundred thirty-nine yards last year, thirty-six touchdowns and nine picks. It's like, no. and he's not very but good. He's not very good. He, look, he completed seventy-three point nine percent of his passes for four thousand seven hundred thirty-nine yards. He averaged six point nine yards per attempt. Yeah, like, that's yeah. that's not a lot of yards. I mean, Anthony that's Gordon, the year he was at Washington State, had eight point one yards per attempt. Like that's mm-hmm. where you want to be. That's that's much closer to where you want to be. There's there's no doubt. Yeah. All right, Michael says, Brian and Ryan, uh, obviously Ronan has taken his talents to the Shrine of Dabo, but if you can only choose between Hannafin and J-Love, who and why? Thank you. Thank you for that, Michael. So I'll let you answer that one, Brian. I would pick pick Jeremiah Love. I would, because I think that there's one, Jeremiah Love, I think, can do more for your team, right? Like he can play running back. I think he can play wide receiver. He even thinks that he can play defense. And I... I've struggled with Ronan a little bit because, like, I really did think Ronan wanted to be with Notre Dame, but like, ultimately, he didn't pick Notre Dame, right? And, I, and right now, where we're standing, I we, we have to see what happens. But I think Jeremiah Love wants to be at Notre Dame, and I would yeah. call them the leader for him right now. And we'll see when the time time frame actually, you know, when the timeline ends, that type of thing, when the decision is ultimately made. But I really do think that Jeremiah Love wants to be at Notre Dame, and unfortunately, Ronan didn't. You know, like he wanted to. But he decided that it wasn't the best fit for him, so that yeah. I would I would opt for Jeremiah Love in this situation. Yeah, I, I think also Jeremiah Love's bring, brings more a little bit more offensive versatility. I think Ronan brings more yeah. overall versatility. He could be a starter. He's a four star player on offense and defense. You know, he's a top hundred player sure. in my view on both sides of the ball, which then is why his overall ranking is even higher for me. I have him in the seventies because you just don't often have a guy that you recruit for receiver. He doesn't make it, and then you move him to safety or. Rover or linebacker, and he's a stud there too, you know. So, it, for this particular team, linebacker Rover wasn't a need. So, I, I don't need that versatility as much. You've got Jaden Allsbury, you've got three safeties, you've got Drake Bowen and Preston Zinter. You don't need that versatility. You need a guy that can be a difference maker on offense. And I think Jeremiah Love brings that out of the backfield as a receiver. I think he can do a lot more things. And so, looking at it strictly that way, Ryan, I think that is kind of that is kind of where it would be. We are running out of time. So I do, I do want to get, I think this might be, this might be our last question. Cause Ryan, I know you got to leave around five. So I think yep. this might be last question, but I, I've, I've been actually, actually we missed a super chat from John Klimek. John, thank you for that. Thanks for the two reports, two weeks till we see. Uh, actually, did you oh, guys actually, talk about this one? We, did okay, not, we knocked this one out earlier. Okay, Thanks again, good, though, John. Good, Appreciate good. It. Absolutely. Uh, so Alejandro, 
uh, Coronel says, hey, guys, let's have some fun here. What year do you truly believe Notre Dame has the best shot to win the title? 22, 23, 24, or 25? We've talked about this one a bunch. I would say for me it's 2023. And I think, Brian, last time you may have said 2024, if I remember correctly, is the most likely. But I think it is 2023 because I'm just thinking of that sophomore class that I keep talking about. Every single podcast, at that point, they will be juniors. And there's no guarantee that after that year – that all of them will be back. So I'm looking at Tyler Buckner as a junior. I'm looking at Joe Alt as a junior, Blake Fisher as a junior, Logan Diggs as a junior, Audrick Estime as a junior, Lorenzo Styles as a junior. That's when I think you can potentially, I don't want to say peak, but like get to your highest point. So I'm going to say 2023. I, I still say this year because it's the one in front of me. That's just the coach. And I, and I think that there's a lot of things in place for Notre Dame, but there are also some roster issues that, uh, um, are problems, you know, that you can't have this or can't have that, that the current freshman class and the incoming 23 and 24 should fix. If I had to go, if I had to go um, with a year, I still think 24 is, is the year for me of the three. I think it's 22 just because it's this one. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to have a bias on what's in front of me. Right. And because that's the one I've spent more time matching up on. I haven't spent as much time evaluating what are other teams going to have in 24 and 23. You know, I mean, that's a big part of this. Right. I mean, you can have a great team, but if you're if your great team happens to be the same year as 2019 LSU, guess what? You ain't winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the reality. You know, hey, we had a Florida had a great team in 1995. Didn't matter. They had no shot against Nebraska. None. It's a terrible matchup. It's a really good Florida team. And, you know, so that's kind of the factor of it, too, is. Um, uh, what you're against. So I don't know as much about those two years. So I can only look from Notre Dame. I think 24 would be because you're going to be year three of Tyler Buckner. You know, like the, the Lorenzo Styles class, they'll be seniors, you know, so you'll, you know, maybe you have one of Alder Fisher back, maybe both, you know, Rock will be a senior. This current freshman class will be juniors. And then the 23 class will be sophomores, plus you'll have some influx of the 2024. So I think it's going to be a really talented team, like really fast, athletic. I mean, all your 4-3 guys in this class are going to be sophomores with a year of Matt Bayless under their belt that year. Uh, and, and then the schedule is going to be tough that year, but it's not, to me, as challenging as what I think next year's schedule is going to be, which is going to have a game at Clemson, home against Ohio State. You know, AM, you have, you're at AM. That's a tough game. At USC, you've got Miami at home. You got Florida State at home. I think it's going to be a, a little bit more manageable schedule. Uh, tough, but a little more manageable. I'm not a big believer in AM, as you know. I would, I'm more concerned about playing Clemson in 23 at Clemson than I am AM in 24 at AM. Both are good, tough games. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Bama just lost at AM, right? It's not a cakewalk to go down to Kyle Field and, and win. I'm not saying that. But if I got to think about which one I have a better shot at, it's it's A&M in 24 than Clemson in 23, in in my view. Although next year Clemson is going to be is going to be losing a lot. They're going to be losing a lot from there because all, all these dudes we talk about on defense, they're most likely all gone next year. So you know, like I said, that's where I think I get to it. Ryan is like the schedule's got to matter in this conversation, right? Like that's a part. You can have a great team, but if your schedule's way too brutal. I mean, the 2017 was probably the second best team of the last five years. Would you disagree with that? They had, this, they had the worst regular season record of the of the of all the teams because they played seven ranked teams that year, six in the regular season. 
In 2019, Notre Dame went one and two against ranked teams. One and two. Last year, they went mm-hmm. 0 and one. Last year's team playing the 2017 schedule, we're not talking about them being in the playoff hunt by October, much less in November. You know what I mean? So it's just that factors into it as well. But I think that 24 team has a chance to be loaded. So, Ryan, I think that's uh, I think that's all we have time for today. There was a lot of great questions, everybody. We are sorry we didn't get to any. I know there was one super chat we didn't get have a chance to get to, but uh, somebody has some, I, I think, some daddy duty responsibilities they got to get to. So, unfortunately, um, yep. and, uh, yeah. So, so why don't you go ahead and take us out of here, Ryan? Yeah, well, appreciate everybody again, Irish Breakdown Podcast. And before you leave for this free for all mailbag, we hope everybody enjoyed it. Make sure you like, share, subscribe to this podcast. Go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. You see that link at the bottom there, boards.irishbreakdown.com. If you want to go check out the message board, we've got a lot of great intel on there. Please go to the store, buy some merch. It The season is only two weeks and a day away, so you need your IB gear on yes. game day. So for myself, Ryan Roberts, for Brian Driscoll, thank and you all thanks, as And always. thanks to Sean and Vince for stepping in today, being at practice and joining the show. Definitely big shout-out to yes. both of those guys. So. 100%. Take us out. Sorry yep. about that, Ryan. Just wanted to thank no, no, you you're guys. Fine. So from Brian, Sean, Vince, I am Ryan Roberts. See you all next time on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.